Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. I'm your host, Howard Cassell. With me today is Chris. Chris. And Aaron. I'm talking like Howard Cassell because right now March Madness is happening. And if you're anything like me, you don't really know what the fuck that means. <laughs> did you did you want me to do that? Because I've never Howard heard Cassell. of this guy before. Do you ever watch Better Off? Though? I don't watch sports. I don't, but well, I don't watch sports. What a sight to behold. It is an 80s reference. So it's a sports 80s reference. It sort of is. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's one of those outside references. Anyways, I watch less sports in the eighties <laughs> than I do now. But anyways, uh, we're not talking about sports today. We're talking about Ready Player One on Get to the Good Part. Welcome back for another week. Today we're talking about Chapter Twenty Two. Uh, leading into the chapter today, I don't really know that we have much in the way of news. Well, I guess we kind of do. It'll be old by the time the podcast comes out. But tonight, the movie premiered in England and uh, I gotta say I was super fucking jealous watching all of the uh, the pictures and things coming on Twitter Paul Shipper was there though Paul Paul Shipper if you don't know he's the guy that designed the posters uh, the poster for Ready Player One uh, kind of looked like yeah, Drew Struzan yeah. um, just a fucking phenomenal poster it's kind of the, the main art that they use now um, and he got to be there for for the premiere so we're super excited for him. Um, it just looked like a fun time. Man, Ernie looked like he was having a fucking blast. Uh, everybody looked super excited for the movie coming out. I mean, it just it, it it further hypes for me. I mean, guys, we're just a little over a week away. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. I, I'm in. I'm in that lull, right? That's sort of. I'm not nervous. I'm not even sure if I'm necessarily excited. Uh, I I posted on on the Gunter channel on Facebook. Cause somebody was like, Oh my gosh, I've just invested so much, so much energy and love for this book. I'm really excited and nervous. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm nervous. Uh, just because we've spent so much time doing the podcast and so many other things that I kind of feel like I'm ready, you know? Yeah. I'm not nervous. I'm ready. Yeah. It's, it's like I was nervous waiting in line for the roller coaster, but after an hour and a half of being nervous, you sit in the roller coaster. You're like, I'm ready for this shit to happen now. Let's just do that. Bring on I the say death. That. I say that, but standing in line, I definitely yeah. see like a fear pee in my future. <laughs> like when you're standing in line, it's just like if you played Little League, like <laughs> right before you go up to bat, you feel fine. Uh-huh. And then when you're on the walk out there, you're like, shit, I got to go. Yeah. Like I, I see that for me, like walking into the theater. Of course, I'm going to get there early. So I'm probably going to take like eight fear peas before the movie actually premieres. It's it's not going to be a proud moment for me. I was going to say that. Yeah, you could just get one of those adult that. diapers. You know, if you got to make like a... You're, well, okay, Chris, you and I are going together. So if you wear an adult diaper, let me know so I can put some space between us. I, I don't have fear, Peabody. 
No, I got brave pee. You've never, you've never had fear pee once. Maybe as a child on the soccer field, between watching the ball fly past me and looking at the airplanes in the sky, but beyond that, no, not really. Okay, but I understand. Well, I I feel you. I mean, I get you. (laughs) I know that it's yeah. I get the reference, (laughs) but it doesn't really connect. All right, so we're not here to talk about fear. Little bladder tickle. We're here to talk about chapter twenty-two of Ready Player One, a chapter that begins in Sector Seven, very specifically coming out of uh, hyperspeed and right up to the planet Arcade. Now, I was talking to Aaron about this last week. Arcade is probably one of my favorite settings in the whole of Ready Let Planet. me back up for a quick second here. Because I'm just imagining, as I've okay. read, read through this chapter, the ship coming out of hyperspace that sort of, you know, like where it just comes real quick and then fucking stops right at the planet. Not on the planet, mm-hmm. but right before it. See, every time that I've read the book, I imagine it from the cockpit of the Falcon, like coming out of hyperspace when you get the dots that or the streaks that turn into dots. And like all of a sudden the scene just like pulls up on you. Like that's how I picture them approaching you get, like, arcade. Every the sound day. effects of the Millennium Falcon pulling out of warp. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, okay, hold up. Calm down, boy. It sounds like a shitty dryer stopping. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's like your car that just <laughs> turned off and rolled into a gas station at the same time. <laughs> or not. Maybe it'll just sound like a real, a real life DeLorean. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. That would be freaking awesome. Okay, I'm sorry. It, back to All right, giant so green dotted black We're ball. fantasizing. Fantasizing. We're, we're, we're fantasizing about what it's going to sound like. Uh, we're going to find out pretty soon. Sorry if this podcast comes out after the movie. Hopefully it'll come out before. Let's put a little undue burden on Chris, but we'll see what happens. I'm working on it. Hopefully this comes out. I'm working on it. I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That, that's just my software coming out of hyperdrive. So uh, speaking of Star Wars, we uh, come up on Arcade and we find that it is a, uh, a, a basically a vector planet amidst a uh, a grouping of other planets that look like normal planets. But this one stands out because it's a vector planet. It looks like a vector version um, from the, uh, the the video game of Star Wars. Um, this is pretty cool to me. I'm a big fan of vector art. If anybody saw me in Columbus, I've got a Star Wars <laughs> like video game vector t-shirt that I'm like super proud of that I've st- I just stumbled onto randomly on uh, Amazon one day and like, Oh shit, gotta have that. One of my favorite t-shirts, but, uh, but yeah, I love vector art. I love the way it looks. You know, I think, I think um, vector art is like, is like the, the R rated version of porn. Follow me here. Follow me here. All right. But, you know, it, <laughs> it, vector art during that period of time was the only way that you could like do a triangle in a very specific shape, call it a gun and your mind would fill in the blanks and believe it. Okay. You know, like that, that shirt you had on was just a bunch of freaking green, red, and blue lines. But thrown onto that shirt, you go, fuck, Star Wars. I get that. I'll believe that. You're playing the video game, and it's, it's your mind's basically filling in. It's the, it's the uh, lingerie, if you will, of the video game era. So, like, that's an X-Wing. That's the Death Star. Right. That's a TIE Fighter. 
That's a vagina. No, that's not where I was going. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess. Why not? Okay. Well, sexual references aside, <laughs> vector art is pretty cool. I've always been a big fan of it. I like the way it looks. I don't know, like the feeling I got, I'm, I don't want to rush too far ahead here because there's a part where he talks about landing the Vonnegut on Arcade, mm-hmm. right? And he talks about like very, it's a, it's a very like subtle passage in the book, but he talks about how stark the difference was between this fully rendered version of the Vonnegut landing on Arcade, which is all like, you know, black background with these vector lines. And just how crazy that looked. And it reminded me immediately. And it's it's sort of surprising that he never brings it up in this chapter. But it reminded me of Tron. Mm. Where you've got these just like, you know, these fully rendered people living in this sort of like vector world. Right. And that's sort of what Tron was. I keep wondering if when his, uh, when the ship lands on there, is the planet going to be... Like eight, like eight bit, or is it going to be a smooth-ish sphere? Like, is, is it going to be like landing on a big Lego-made planet? I, yeah, you know I'm saying like just blocks. Yeah, I, I kind of wondered that too. I'm like, what I imagine is a sphere of just like pure black, you know, and somehow they contrast that black between the space outside of it. But he mentions that they have this, you know, these these green dots that are sort of, it looks like a runway. Uh, but, you know, from far back, it looks like, you know, a vector landscape and everything like that. Um, I don't really know. I mean, the only the only real, like, mental visual reference I had was Tron. I like I liked the Tron. You know what I mean? Where everything's just kind of dark. I, I like the Tron where the movie itself, when it takes you into this universe... It's vector, but it's it's lined, but there's still curves, and there are, of course, pointy right. edges, but it's almost as if outside of that world, playing the video game from the arcade perspective, you've got this far-off, shittier view of this much smoother, much more articulated, but still very lineish uh, world, but that pulled back, it would be much more, gra- it would be more granulated, I guess, or more blocky. Because you just have that pullback. Yeah. It's as if playing the game from a distance was a shittier view than being in the game. And he sort of references that. I mean, with the volcano that's spewing out like the pixelated lava. Like you can run at it full speed forever. And you're never actually going to reach the volcano. So there's always that horizon that's pulled back from you. No matter how fast you run at it, you're not actually approaching anything. So when you're on Arcade... There's always that, like, you know, probably, you know, uh, you know, better represented horizon that's constantly in the background. I was going to say, I love all these little details that he puts in about Arcade, about the horizon you can just run to forever and never get to. And all the detail that he goes into describing uh, this planet, I, I love it. Before we get to that point, we, we mentioned that... Um, Arcade is a magic and a chaos zone. Mm. Uh, so basically, magic powers work there. Uh, it's it's a PvP zone. Anything goes on Arcade. 
that's a terrifying fucking place for Wade to be right now. <laughs> especially, especially if there's a chance that you could run into a giant gunship full of Sixers. That's a terrifying place to be anyhow. That's like when you're right. a kid going to the video arcade and that asshole high schooler comes up and starts beating on you to get you off the machine. Yeah, I mean, it's sure. so so basically they've, you know, I mean, anything goes in this area. Uh, Wade's taken a huge risk by going here, but he really feels like this might be the location of the Jade Key. After all, he's got nothing after, you know, several months of searching. Do you think he could do you think he could get all Starship Enterprise and be like, scan the planet for life forms? <laughs> scan the planet for assholes. That that could that would be really helpful. I'm not looking for human heat signatures. I'm looking for butthole signatures. <laughs> but like but 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 along like in the last chapter, I mean, like he kind of, he kind of leads into this. Like there's really not too many people he's afraid of anymore. Like he's, he's willing to board an entire destroyer, take out their crew and just hijack their ship. So, I mean, he's, uh, he's pretty powerful at this point, you know? So maybe he's just got that bravado going in, which we know he's, uh, he is, he's want to have, yeah, that 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 typical oh, plausible bravado. He's still trying to prove to Artemis that he's uh, the big shit. But yeah, so he mentions after he lands that um, the landscape on the surface of Arcade resembles a game called Battlezone. Um, Battlezone is a pretty interesting game uh, w- within you know the context of the book. Aaron, I'm I'm, I'm getting the feeling. <laughs> That you dug into this just as much as I did. Uh, into battle zone, not quite, but I did. Oh, okay. Go on. So, um, battle zone is kind of a cool game. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting about battle zone is that it was uh, it was it was typically called, or it has been called, one of the first virtual reality games because the stand up arcade uh, featured a periscope which is basically just a set of goggles that you'd rest your forehead against. And, you know, for that reason, very immersive because you could just, you kind of like pivot the goggles and you could look around you and things like that. I mean, it's a very crude version of what VR would become in in context of Ready Player One. But uh, one thing that's really interesting about Battlezone is that the U.S. Army actually used this for training purposes. And if we ever cover our motto, we might someday... This is really similar to the game in Armada uh, that that they used it for, you know, training people to be ready for a battle to come. Um, They used it to train gunners on what was called the Bradley fighting vehicle, which was basically a tank. Uh, They used a slightly different version from the uh, commercially available game Battlezone. Um, But still, it's really interesting that they used it for that purpose. And uh, one of the things that I also thought was really interesting about this is that the guy who created it, and I didn't write his name down. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if, if if the guy listens to the podcast, I'm sure he doesn't, but... Um, uh, I can tell you what it is. I have the, the wiki up. That it was designed by Ed Rockberg. Yeah. The, the, the U.S. Army, when they approached him about using this for training purposes, he he swore after that he wouldn't do, or he told them like I I won't do anything else for military purposes. Which again, you know, is is one of those things that kind of harkens back to war games. The guy who created the simulation of war games swore that 
he would never make a game again that would, you know, be for that purpose. So it's, it's you know, a bunch of like really interesting touch points for uh, Battlezone. Another thing that I thought was really interesting about Battlezone, a couple things, and one of the, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the first one. It's not really all that interesting. Um, there was a spinoff of Battlezone or a port of Battlezone called Stellar 7. Uh, which came out in 1983. I thought that was really interesting because Sector 7 is where they're at. Uh, not necessarily a direct tie, but it was kind of interesting. Uh, the other thing that I thought was uh, kind of cool is that Battlezone came out in the same year as Pac-Man. Hmm. And <laughs> that year they had they actually had an awards show for, maybe not a show, but they gave out awards for the best arcade game of the year. And that year, 1981, Battlezone actually beat out Pac-Man for Game of the Year. And I, I could totally see that because, again, you've got that immersive element. You had the two. You had two handles. It wasn't just one handle. It was two handles to control the tank, and I think a trigger to fire the the cannon. It was I, that was one of my favorite games as a kid. I was never really a big Pac-Man guy, but whenever I'd go to the arcade, I loved this game. Uh, and I'd last all of three minutes on it, so I went through a shitload of quarters. But I, I just enjoyed this. And my first computer, I had an Apache Flight Simulator. It had three colors. Fantastic. I could choose from t- between two sets of three colors. And it was very much like this, where you would fly, and you would see tanks, and you'd be able to identify between these squares the differences between you know, your regular fighting tanks like Bradley's, for example, or BMPs, your troop carriers, or something else. But there was just a slight difference in angle as far as the little squares were concerned. And it was my favorite freaking game. Like, I think about that now, and I, I can't. I would I would listen to salt and Pepper's Push It while flying this Apache. Don't look at me that way. While playing this game, and I just would get chills playing it. But now that I think back on it, it was just so rudimentary graphics-wise. But I just totally filled that shit in and loved it. I'm still absorbing this whole song. The, push it. Push it real good. Like at the, the beginning, you know. I'd, yeah, I'd hit no, it, dun, we, we, dun, we know dun, how the dun, song dun, goes, Chris. Dun, We're just ow. not huge fans. No? Oh. I, Okay, it's a guilty pleasure for me. I actually don't mind salt and pepper, <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't crank it while I'm, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, from driving and it comes on, like, I might, you know, but, turn it up a little but bit. That was the, keep it that on. Was the song in the but day. But I'm not, like, seeking it out to play video games. While, while playing the game, it's totally a nostalgia thing for me. Like, I, I made that heavy connection. I had it on tape, and I would hit play just as that shit started, the chopper started whirring. It was fantastic. It was like it was like. Are, are you waiting to hear if anybody can relate to what you just no, said? No, no, I, I'm not. I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna dance alone. I think. Okay. Hey, I'm not saying salt and pepper is bad. I actually don't mind salt and pepper. You should, I just uh, you're not connected. Push it with a video game, huh? I guess not. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, That's all right. I, I, push it real. But surely good. you've right. had go-to Anyways. songs when playing games. <laughs> yeah. Like even re- even recent, like you're like I'm gonna fucking own this, and then you just hit your favorite song, and then you just get in the zone. Like the song puts you in the zone. Do you have a Do you have a go to video game song? Not at the moment. I've got a few. I I definitely don't because I don't really video no. game. Is it which mo- which must have made this chapter very difficult for you? 
I actually got really into this chapter. Like I could totally get into like I was visualizing it. I was there with them. I was enjoying it. Do you so let me ask you this. I mean, you're you're a little bit older than I am. But did you have an arcade in your town that you went to or did like was there that Pizza Hut where you did the sit down Pac-Man or anything like that? Uh there were definitely like little like restaurants that had a little corner, like in the lobby, that had a couple uh, cabinets in it. I know that there was definitely some places you could go for the huge arcade area, uh, arena type places. I don't really remember going to them except for maybe like an occasional birthday party or something like that. Um, you didn't have like a showbiz pizza or a celebration station? No. The, I guess I was in the in the shitty burbs of Boston at the time. And uh, I think there were, there were definitely places you could go if you wanted to do the arcades and the, um, the kind of like the seashore type stuff. You know, yeah. Um, the, the boardwalk type Yeah, stuff. there were places to go for that kind of thing. I just didn't really go there. Um, I, I kind of like we were referring to before about how in high school by having friends, you kind of needed friends to like want to go to these places with and i lack that well we did like we had like when i was super young before i could like drive on my own uh we had like showbiz pizza and celebration station like i said but then up in you know the burbs of chicago northwest indiana fucking chicago's new jersey um (laughs) we had a place called odyssey fun world that was a fucking blast man i used to go there all the time and the game that i would rock there was simpsons bowling nice that was that was where that was where you could find the uh the rcw high score (laughs) was on simpsons bowling (laughs) the one game that pops out in my mind is the sega arcade game space harrier and this was at godfather's pizza in centerville and I obsessed over this game. When I first moved to Centerville, this was the one machine I stayed at for 30 minutes. And I was freaking good at it. Like, I could, you know, it had a joystick. You move this dude around on this flying gun, and freaking dragons would come out or rocks would fly at you. And when I found out that they had this for the Sega Master System, which I had, uh, have you ever wanted something so bad that it just obsessed your thoughts at night? Have you ever had a video game that you just wanted to play so bad? Have you ever wanted anything so bad that it... I can think of a I can think of a certain movie. <laughs> what movie? Motherfucker. <laughs> Never heard of that one. <laughs> well, this game did it for me. I I as a child obsessed over this game. This was that one game that when my birthday came around, I was like I've got to have this game. This is all I want in the entire world. If you give me this, it was one of those, dear God, inspire my parents to give me this game, and I will go to church for the rest of my life. Obviously broke that promise. And and sure enough, my parents ended up doing that. And uh, That's nice. I'll, well, they kind of fucked with me, though, because it was my birthday, so I, they knew I wanted this thing almost obsessively bad, even though I tried not to harass them too much. And then I open up this present, and it's like this wooden airplane kit. Like, just the shittiest thing you could buy a child at that time was like, oh, look, you can glue together the little spines, and you can put a fake skin on it, and you can throw it. 
Isn't that cool? Was it was it one of those balsa wood airplanes that had like a uh, gas engine oh, on Jesus. the front? Yes, it did. Yeah, like a little rubber band thing on the front. Just some cheap no. science crap with balsa wood, right? I used to make I used to make the ones with the uh, the engine on the front that you would spin up, but you would like load it up with like butane. Oh yeah, that would be nice. And right? then you'd spin it up and let it go, and then it would fly. No, this this was some rubber band bullshit with balsa oh, okay. wood. Yeah, it was some cheap. Yeah, it, my parents liked to fuck with our birthdays. So I got that and I was like, oh, thank you. And they're snickering to themselves. They're like, we're just fucking with you. Here's your game. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so you did get it. Oh, God, thank you. You know. Well, cool. I remember really wanting, and I remember, I think I remember, like, practically begging for Super Mario Brothers 3. Nintendo was hot I shit. I love then, Mario dude. Brothers 3. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a Nintendo and a Sega Genesis, and that was it. Well, at the time, consoles cost like sixty bucks. I think was it like like the going rate for consoles. It's like two thousand dollars in eighties money. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, when I was when I was ten, which would have been like ninety three, I started like mowing lawns for my neighbors, and I learned how quickly I could save up fifty bucks because I would do it for like ten bucks a pop. Nice. And. uh yeah, so I like I was loaded down with consoles when I was a kid, man. Addicted to video games. It was, it's like it, it was, was like a, it's like a crack whore, only for video games. Less less debauched, I would say. <laughs> um, we're going through arcade. Um, one of the things that I noticed in this part that I thought was really interesting: arcade is sort of an open source planet. Anybody can contribute to the levels or the the rooms on arcade. Uh, people have added to it since its inception. Um, we know one person we'll get to later in the chapter has added to it as Halliday. Uh, but but everybody's put their favorite games into this. And I, I like the idea of Arcade is this just sort of anthology of gaming as told by the fans of gaming. Um, this part of the chapter really is a history of video games. It goes all the way back to the beginning with the... Um, you know, the, the the very first video games that are made, Tennis for Two. Um, what this reminded me of, I don't know if if you guys have Netflix, I encourage you to watch uh, a movie called Video Games, the movie. It's narrated by Sean Astin. And it goes from the very first video game on up to like current times. It is, it's about an hour and a half long. It'd be, I may be wrong about that, but but it's it's at least an hour. It is one of the. It, I seriously had so much fun because it's it, it's like an hour long love fest on video games. Um, but I mean, they type you know Nolan Bushnell comes on and talks. It's just it's it's so much fun, and it's it's just sort of a love letter to uh, gamers and fans of games and the beginning of games, and it it just goes through the entire timeline. Um, chronologically it's 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 a really good one if you've got netflix go out there and check it out it's i'm looking at pictures and some descriptions that'll be the next that'll be the next movie i watch absolutely yeah it's it's a lot of fun man i i I really it was one of those things where like i i watched it and i immediately (laughs) wanted to go and play games it's just it's it's one of it just it if if you love video games, it hits you kind of like right in that, that perfect spot. So definitely go check it out if you haven't. Basically, this is a... Um, he's making his way through Arcade. And it's a series of tunnels and levels that just go through the um, 
chronologically through the history of video games. And he goes into some great detail here. One of the things that I really liked about this part of the chapter too is that he almost describes them as works of art. Like he's working through an art museum just in the way that the pictures are rendered and, you know, the quality of the graphics and how they get more crude, but not less beautiful. Like it's just, it's an appreciator of video games going through the history of video games. And eventually when he gets close to the center, he finds himself in the museum that displays, a, you know, GSS and a giant statue of Halliday with all of the trophies that he won for, you know, game of the year and all that kind of thing. You know, and uh, that's, that's sort of the reason that's the thing that brought him to arcade to begin with. He thought this was going to be the trophies that he, that he was referencing, uh, you know, in the last chapter or in the, the quatrain. Um, but alas, he can't really move the, the, the trophies at all. So uh, here we are at another dead end, right? Yeah, good thing you brought that welder. <laughs> or the cutter or whatever, the laser cutter. Yeah. <laughs> nothing can free up these trophies. I, I like I how mean, there's nothing it, there. Like, no one's around. Like, I'm just going to try and cut this shit down. Like, I, like, somebody else is playing video games. They look back, see some kid putting on, you know, the mask and breaking out the arc welder. Just don't pay attention to me here. I'm just trying to steal this shit. And then just turning back to your games and keep playing. Like I connect with Wade on such a real level. What's stealing other people's uh, stuff from a public place? Have you ever have you ever done something, whether it's in a game or 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 something you know something in your life where you you start doing it, and you know from the beginning like this isn't going to work out. I'm I'm going in the wrong direction here, but I'm going to do it anyways because you might come up with an idea on the way that might lead you to the right answer, but you know the whole time you're pursuing the wrong answer. Do you, do you know that feeling I'm talking about? It's like looking for your keys in a drawer, knowing your keys aren't there, but you check the drawer, and then you close the drawer, and then you open the drawer because you think, I didn't check it thoroughly enough. And you yeah. move your hand around, you lift some shit, you close the drawer, and sure as shit, 10 minutes later, you're you back know. at the drawer. Yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> I do this every day, multiple times a day. Did I turn? I didn't turn the oven on, but is it on? I should go back and check. I have to imagine he's like, it's not going to be here, but I'll be damned if I don't try everything I can so that I don't have to come back. I mean, I'm going to attempt to make another like Destiny reference here, which will probably be cut out because they always are. That's the thing. It's not just you. It goes back to John. It's like a theme of the show. <laughs> you're, you're almost, I almost feel obligated now. I don't want to, yeah, well, but I feel no. like I gotta. But you would start a raid and, you know, a raid is like a, you know, a series of battle sequences that mix with a puzzle and it's, it's really difficult. And you would start a raid and you would just have this feeling right from go. This isn't the time. This isn't the time when it's going to work. And, you know, I mean, like, you just knew that. And it was it was almost like you were, like, self-defeating to a certain extent. But it was just like this this hunch you had that it just, like, this isn't the time. And the thing is, is, like, you could do that 50 times. And then the 50th time, you actually fooled yourself. And it actually was the time. You get to a, you get to a certain checkpoint or something like that. And you realize, holy shit, it's happening this time. Right. 
And like, I kind of related to this point, like, like as he's approaching arcade, I get the feeling the whole time he's making this trip and he feels he's like sort of cursing himself out when he realizes it's not, but I get the feeling that he kind of knew the whole time that this was the wrong direction to go. Well, he gets there. There's nobody there. Yes. It's, it's it's a long shot. He's, he's desperately thinking that this is the only thing that makes sense as far as trophies. This is this is obviously not it, but this is where trophies are. And he's been sitting on his ass for six months, a year. It's like it's got to do something. But like you know, I mean, so so there's a couple things you could do there. You could jet set around Sector Seven and try to find out where everybody's collecting. See if you know IOI is collecting on one certain area. You could watch. You could sit outside of Arcade while you're already in Sector Seven, and you could watch the message boards wait to see which planet lights up as the most likely candidate. But instead, he decides to descend into Arcade, almost like a siren call. There's something calling him down there, you know what I mean? And I love this part of the book because it's drawing him back into the game. And by the game, I mean the hunt. Like, this is one of those moments, and Aaron, you and I talked about this last week a little bit, this is where Wade starts to become like he his love becomes the hunt again. You know, I mean, he said in the last cha- last chapter that he spent all kinds of time. It was his ritual at night to sit there and just stare at the quatrain. But I feel like, and the reason I love this chapter, I feel like this is the this is this is when he reconnects with Halliday, and how he does that is what we're going to get into next. Um, it starts with him, you know, leaving the GSS area of arcade and realizing this isn't the place where he's going to find the egg. And he takes a different route back, even though he's behind in the hunt, he understands that, you know, I mean, it's someplace else. He's, he's reconciled with that. He still decides to take a different route back, whether it's a long way or a short way, he's just going to try something new. And he starts making his way back and he's going through, you know, a series of, of, of different levels on arcades, seeing all kinds of old pizza places and shit like that, which kind of reminds me of if you've ever been to Vegas, New York, New York, which is set up like an old, like, like a few city streets in New York. It's really kind of cool. Um, bunch of pizza places in there. And um, he takes that different route and he comes across across an alley and he walks to the back of the alley. And what does he find? But Happy Time Pizza, he recognizes from the simulation of Halliday's hometown. Now, we we stumbled into something pretty interesting. And Aaron dug a little farther than I did before I got too excited about it. Why don't you tell us what you found, man? So, you know, me being me and just, you know, parsing every sentence of the book and Googling it to see what I could find, I looked up Happy Time Pizza. And lo and behold, there's a Yelp listing for a Happy Time Pizza in Ashland, Ohio. And for those that don't know, Ashland, Ohio is Ernest Klein's hometown. Specifically, it's called Happy Time Pizza and Video Rentals. (laughs) And it's located at 910 East Main Street, Ashland, Ohio. And if you go into Google Maps and you look there now, what will you find, Aaron? You find a house. <laughs> Just a random house. It's 
it's it's really kind of dis. First of all, I think that Happy Time Pizza was a thing that actually existed in Ashland, Ohio, when he was growing up. Well, Happy I mean, Time Pizza maybe. is a thing that still exists today. It's just in Norway. Yeah, I found that one too. <laughs> you know, uh, it's quite possible that maybe it was located across <clears throat> the street because it's just a line of stores. There's like a an auto parts store right next to a dollar store, but. Uh- Maybe the house, because this is an address on a specific side of the street. It's a very specific place, and somebody took the time to put in a Yelp location and a Google location. You've to do that. And a Facebook page. And yeah. a Facebook page. To do that, you've got to go into Google, and you've got to mark on a point, and you've got to submit an edit for a particular place, and you've got to send that shit to Google for Google to review. That's an intentional thing. If slash when... We get Ernest Klein on this fucking podcast. Question one. Happy time pizza. Where and when <laughs> did this thing exist? I kind of feel like this was like an Easter egg that he's put up. He's like, if someone finds this and puts a review up and says that they played Pac-Man there, that they're going to get a DeLorean. <laughs> I want that to be well, true. I, I, that would be cool. I, what I want to do is I want to, if we go up there, I want to do a, a, a mob gunter gather. Bring a couple, we're going to drag a couple, we've talked about this, drag a couple uh, stand-up arcade machines, see if we can't run a power line from the next-door neighbor, order some fucking pizza, and then we're going to take some pictures and we're going to put up some Yelp reviews. Uh, well, it, Do you think the people that live there now are going to like that? I think if we, well, if, they, if we order enough pizza, they will. Well, cut that out because I, 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 want to, I want to develop the idea before we do it because I think we could really actually do that. Well. But... I think yeah, I agree. I think that I and I don't know this for any you know discernible fact. Like I think it if there is an Easter egg here, if it's on the residential side of the street, maybe it was the place that it grew up. That's my thought too. That's kind of what I was thinking. I don't know for sure, and I don't want people to go and you know not that you know we've got a million listeners in every location, but. I don't want people to go mob that fucking poor, those poor people's address. But if it's on a residential side of the street, that was the feeling that I got that happy time pizza was actually where he grew up. You know, the interesting thing I think about this part of the book for me is that, and this more came out this evening as I was rereading the chapter is the idea that he gave up and it is in this momentary break that he just decides to play. And as much as you've already mentioned, I've experienced this. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but in a moment of, of severe concentration where you're you're locked in for hours on a particular idea and you just can't make any headway, to just get up and walk away from it and stop thinking about it and use the creative side of your brain. Once you revisit it, the shit just starts to open up. And it feels like that's happened here. Like he's given up for the moment. He's going to go home. But before he does, he starts to kind of wander into this this area of interest. There have been these psychological studies done on this. It's something called flow. I was going to say flow. Yeah. Flow is like where you, where you get into this, this moment of pure concentration, uh, whatever task you're, you're, you're on, you're purely focused into that task. And from the studies that have read and everything, that's actually when people are the happiest, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a really cool book about flow state called The Rise of Superman. It's it's an interesting read. I highly recommend. I've, I'll need to pick that one up. That the the 
TDCS stuff that I've been doing has been specifically for putting myself into a state of flow. That's awesome. You know, rigging yeah. up, rigging up a, you know, two milliamps to the side of my head in order to get myself to immediately focus in on whatever it is that I'm doing. But flow is basically like, if you know, what, what, what people describe as meditation. I think in certain circles, what people describe as prayer or, you know, if, if, if you're somebody who plays video games and you get fully immersed, or if you're somebody who reads a book and can't put it down, or if you're somebody who's writing something and you can't stop writing about it, like that's flow, you know, it's that moment of pure creativity or that moment of pure imagination. Haha, ha, see how I did that. Wow, well, well to wrap <laughs> that around. That's really what it is. It's it's that moment of pure um pure motivation from the mind. And but I've experienced it and I fucking love it. Whatever it happens, I mean, it's it's the greatest feeling in the world. You don't want to come off it. It's a high. It's almost like yeah. a high. It's a, where all your where all of your brain is just working together versus working against you. There was a mm -hmm. great podcast. It's called uh, Nine Volt Nirvana. It's done by Radiolab. And this gal goes to do a reporting on, again, the TDCS, where she goes out to DARPA in California. And they put her through this sort of ultra-real sniper simulation where she just does horrible. And then they You told me about this. And then they rig her up to, you know, a couple milliamps in some very specific places. And she just burns right through it. And after three minutes, the woman comes in, she turns it off and she says, you know, was that it? Did you just put this on an easier mode? And she said, no, 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 it was the same mode. It's like, well, you know, it, it feels like it's only been like three minutes. She's like, no, no, it's been 20 minutes. The time yeah. just flies. And that uh, the government and the military is researching how to trigger flow state uh, for military purposes or how even, you know, government productivity purposes, let's just say. So it's totally a thing. It's a thing that, that our tax dollars are being spent to uh, explore and research. That's nice. But if you needed more proof that this is, you know, Parzival reconnecting with, you know, who he was as a gunter before all the fame and everything hit him, um, look no further than the other arcade cabinet that's that's right down the way from the Pac-Man cabinet. What's he staring at? But Robotron. Which is, as we know, right before he finds the first key, I think it's the last game he plays before he. It's the it's the it's the game he plays in the stacks before. Uh, yeah. Um, before he goes to school that day. And his, when his laptop gets uh, taken away by uh, yeah. what's her name and uh, Uncle Douchebag. Yeah, <laughs> Uncle Rick. Yeah, it's Robotron. I mean, like he, it's it's it kind of harkens back to the beginning, and. I don't know, like, I, I think I glanced over this a few times when I read the book, but I, I, I could imagine this being like a pivotal moment in the movie where he glances over and sees Robotron and he reconnects to that kid who was in the stacks. You know, that kid who thought everything was impossible. He was so much farther back than he is now and gets that, you know, that that invigorating moment of like, look at how far I've come. I'm about to beat the fuck out of this Pac-Man machine. <laughs> you know, like I can see that being like a rallying moment. Yeah, I um, see. It. But in the book, it's just something that's kind of like lightly mentioned. I got excited about it though. So it, it, here was something that when I was re-listening to this chapter for the thousandth time uh, today in final preparation for the podcast was 
this part where he's talking about how, you know, what the hell is this simulate the, uh, the happy time pizza even doing here? He never saw it mentioned in the message boards or strategy guides. And why hadn't anyone seen it before? So it popped into my head, like maybe nobody saw it before because how they coded it so that you could only see it if your name was on the scoreboard. Maybe. Cause like, why wouldn't anybody have seen it or heard of it being there? It just seems like, why, why not? And the only difference between, you know, when people were probably going to arcades somewhat more regularly and this time is that people are on the scoreboard now. You know, what it reminded me of is like the end of Willy Wonka when like Charlie gets it, you know what I mean? And he's the one that wins just because he gets it. Like he understands why Willie held the contest and everything like that. And he returns the gobstopper. Like it reminded me of that moment where it was almost like Halliday put that in is like, like step 1.5 or step 2.5, where it was like, if you stumble across this in your search for the hunt, you were clearly already looking for it. So maybe it manifested in a way that like it wasn't there before. But if you came to Arcade and you already had the key, you would find it. But I think it was more like if if you've come to this place, then you, you're thinking about the contest in the same way that I am. And he stops at that machine and he finds what, you know, what is by the definitions laid out in the last chapter or two, he finds an artifact. What that artifact does, we won't find out until later in the book. <gasps> But it was like, to me, like a, it was the Willy Wonka moment. It was the moment where Halliday said, you may not have found it, but you are definitely on the right track. And we, we find out just how significant that is later in the book. We know that, that something that happens commonly is that as you're on the right track, you're, the ambiance of the place that you're in starts to kick in. Mm-hmm. So the music starts playing Pac-Man fever. You know, this is... Unlike details of other parts of the book where he's playing, as you're moving in the right direction, there is confirmation. That was the case when he was playing uh, uh, the war games. Oh uh, yeah, um, no, it was in Dungeons of Daggerath. Dungeons of Daggerath, yeah, because uh, what was it that kicked in? The Ladyhawk soundtrack. Yes, Ooh. that's right. <laughs> uh, but the environment starts to sort of become alive and amplify the moment kind of like you know kids surrounding you while you're at the arcade game and watching just how awesome you're doing it and you get that rush of both attention and that that high of being on it anyways uh 1981 appears on the coin which sits on the machine did you guys ever have did you ever have the opportunity to do that when you were younger save your spot with a coin I, I never knew that existed, and I probably couldn't reach the top of the cabinet when I was playing these games. I never trusted anyone to stick money yeah. while I'm playing. Well, it, what's going to happen? Some dude grabs it and runs. I'm in the middle of a game. So you never... No, no, no. No, no. What it is is oh, if you're not it. playing... If somebody else is playing that game and they've been on the game for a while, you go up and you put your quarter... Yeah, like, I get it. Like right there on the board, and that says, I've got next game. I used to do it all the time. That worked. Like, did that work? Yeah, it did. Did you? Yeah, no, every it's like it's like an unspoken code. If somebody comes up and puts their quarter up there, 
You don't bitch about it or anything like that. You get off the game after I, after your round. I never let them uh, play. I never did and that. And then they can lay a quarter up there and like be right after you, and nobody takes the quarter because you're right there to see it. So everybody knows where their quarter is in line. It's 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 a system. As a as a kid, I don't think that I trusted that somebody wouldn't assume that I was saying, "Hey, man, the next one's on me." <laughs> hey, look, I grew up I grew up in Chicago, and that system worked just fine. <laughs> I never got jumped for it. <laughs> I grew up in Seattle and Ohio, and I didn't do that. <laughs> you never did that? No, I never did it. I just kind of waited behind them impatiently, like. You yeah, like, like you're supposed to do. Like you're supposed to. Like I'm admiring no. their work. Like I'd stand next to them like, you're doing a really good job. Don't fuck up. You throw the quarter up there, and that <laughs> says, hey, I got next game. But wouldn't also just saying, hey, dude, I got next game also work? I, actually, no, I not really, because they're focused and they're not paying attention to who's coming up. Why don't you just do like what we used to do with other stuff? Let's say dibs on next game. All I know is it's a thing that happened and it worked. Fair hey, it's a thing. Yeah, I get it. I, I'm it's just definitely I'm a thing. kind of amazed that it got around without the magic of the internet. I, I, it's it's a thing right, enough so, that it's in this book. Yeah. So 1981 is on the coin. If I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Halliday dies, what's the year on the quarter on his eyes? 84. 84, that's right. That's 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 what I thought too. Um we tried to narrow down why 84 was used on the quarter back way, way, way back then. It was a good year. Ghostbusters came out in the fall of 84. It's, it's, it's often considered one of the best years for like movies, right? 1984. A lot of good shit came out that year. It was for me. And, uh, but, but, but 81's on the coin. And that's of course, because it's the year that Pac-Man came out. Um, the highest score on the cabinet is 3,333,350. Um, and there's a little sticky note on there that says, beat the owner's score and get a free pizza. Is that what it says? No, that's on the Robotron. Is that, are you sure? No, because the, the, um, the Pac-Man game had the out of order sign on it. That was the misdirection. Right. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was on Defender. It said, beat the owner's high score and win a free pizza. Uh, but but yeah, like uh, three million three hundred thirty-three thousand three hundred fifty is the high score in the Pac-Man machine, which is out of order. Um, he notices a few things that just don't really make sense with the machine. First of all, uh, on regular Pac-Man machines, the score would roll over at a million. Um, now, according to the Guinness uh, World Book of Records, the high score for Pac-Man is. Three million three hundred and thirty-three thousand three hundred and sixty, right? And that high score was first set by a man named. Do you guys know James Halliday? Yeah. <laughs> In real life, uh, IRL. He's a guy well known in gaming circles. He makes a hot sauce, and he looks like a dickhead. His name is Billy Mitchell. And oh. <laughs> a lot of his records are no. pretty regularly disputed because he's sort of a dirty player. Um, if you watch video games, the movie he's in there. If you've watched um, King of Kong, King of Kong, yeah. Oh my if god! You haven't, if you're a Gunter and you haven't seen King of Kong, stop now. Do yourself a favor go, and go treat yourself to that movie because it is so good. Oh my gosh! It's it's hard to imagine that they could paint such a good guy and such a villain. 
in such a natural way and yeah. it not be a soap opera. It not and, be intentional. Right. And another one is Man versus Snake that's really similar to uh King of Kong. And it's just like Billy Mitchell features pretty prominently in both of those. But Billy Mitchell's just somebody who is all over the arcade scene, like the the you know, the the retro gaming scene. And he holds a lot of the records because his affiliation with um Twin Galaxies up in uh Tumwa, Iowa. Uh I knew some people from Atumwa, Iowa. I'm familiar with Atumwa, Iowa, and I'm familiar with Twin Galaxies. Um for the longest time, I mean, that was like sort of the arena where the video game banners would be held. I mean, they they sort of kept organized the people who were, you know, getting the high scores on these games. Billy Mitchell, of course, it was one of their regulars. And, you know, lo and behold, he's one of the world record holders. I'm not saying he's a bad gamer. I've seen the guy play. He's decent. But, I mean, you know... Billy Mitchell, just just look him up and you'll see the controversy associated with him. What's the farthest you've gotten in Pac-Man? Um, not the end. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm looking at a picture that Aaron just sent me that just looks like the code, the game breaking down. Uh, it's the split screen. Sort of, yeah, it's just kind of into its... This is what the end of the world looks like digitally. When you start looking at this sort of hex code barfing out onto the screen. Uh, you just reach that place in the game where the computer's just like, fuck it, I'm done. For a visual, anybody out there listening, what it looks like is if you if you if you had a, a Nintendo and you would put it in and it wouldn't it it wouldn't not work, but it would still kind of work when you put it in and you press it down and start it, and it was it was glitched out and fucked up. We're like half of it's a picture. The other half of it is just random numbers. It's the fucking stuff. matrix. Yeah, that's what it looks like. If it, like it, it, Nintendo used to do that, where like if 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 you loaded it in, and for some reason something went wrong, it would load like you know just some weird stuff and like you know parts of the screen. It would come up in patches where it would just be like ones and zeros. But that's that's kind of what it reminds me of. If, but, but but look it up, you know. I mean, last screen of Pac Man, and I'm sure you'll find it pretty quickly. It looks Google like search. Donkey Kong puked alphabet soup, digital alphabet soup, down one side of a Pac Man screen. Yeah, just pork. But like we referenced earlier, as he uh, as he gets cooking here, uh, it takes a few hours. But as he kicks cooking toward the perfect game. Pac-Man fever kicks on in the jukebox in the background. Um, and during this time, as he's trying to play this perfect game, he gets a notification up on his screen. Uh, he's happy for his friend, but he's not really happy to find out that H, that motherfucker, <laughs> has found the Jade Key. He's up on the scoreboard next. He has overtaken his buddy, Parzival. Now, the fact that that he keeps going. The fact that he just, he, he doesn't stop playing there is to me like, balls it's a different parsable. It's balls. He doesn't steel. start self-defeating. He doesn't start like getting down on himself. For some reason, he just tunes into the fucking game and he plays it to completion. It's fucking flow state. Another sign that Parzival is fucking back. The original Parzival. He's back on the hunt, man. He's he's focused again. Yeah. Yeah. 
Possible's down, but not out for the count. That's right. He's he's back, man. He's ready to fucking roll. But when he comes out, uh, he, he gets his perfect game. Three, uh, 3,333,360. He gets it, achieves the high score. And, uh, and no one there to watch And a coin <laughs> falls down into his inventory with no description whatsoever. Did you guys realize this was an artifact at first or that it would play some significant role in the book later on? I had a feeling that it was, um, I, but I did not know how. I feel yeah. kind of dumb for not knowing. Yeah, it's one of those things where you look back on it like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Just like everything else in this book that I didn't realize at the time. But then after the fact, I realized it was. I feel like yeah. I dismissed it as much as Parzival did. Like, oh, look, there's a coin in my pocket. Okay, then. Well, I think it was. Be- I think it was because I read the chapters as a bunch when he was just talking in the last chapter about artifacts, and like this thing came in with no description. It came in. It sat in his inventory. He couldn't really do anything with it. He would cast divination spell on it. It would take days to extrapolate what it meant. Like I was like, this is an artifact. It's got to be an artifact. Because nobody else has found it. Nobody else has done that. Halliday was the last high score. So that means this is like, you know, you're, you're, you're in uncharted territory here. And he even talks about, I knew I had found something. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's to do with the Jade Key. I don't think it has anything to do with the hunt even, but I knew I had found something. I'm surprised I didn't hear you say retcon, retcon, retcon. Well, I don't think it is a retcon. I think he fully intended this. And I think it was, I think he knew after he wrote the Cataclyst in. So maybe it was a retcon. I don't know. Maybe it was. But this whole chapter doesn't feel really retconned. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, he kind of needs something to do while everybody else is finding the key. Yeah. And and this is actually, it's it's a kind of fun chapter. Uh, Arcade sounds like a pretty cool place uh i do have some things i want to say about arcade before we move forward though same here um so it yeah it gives him a place to be and a little bit of a challenge and it does accomplish what you were talking about before about how it brings parzival back to his roots his yeah his real the real gunther parzival not the the whiny piney parzival that we got to know in the last few chapters very assertive Parzival. Yeah. They uh, got nothing to lose, Parzival. The uh, yeah. conquer the ship and kill the people inside of it, Parzival. Yeah. yeah. Who are begging for their lives. The Anakin Parzival. <laughs> Post whiny Anakin Parzival. I also wanted to dig into a little bit. It was something that I kind of forgot about because I've been listening to the book for so long. But the yeah, it's called arcade, and we hear that all the time in the audiobook, but it's not spelled arcade like right. arcade, it's spelled arcade A R C H A I D E. And so, I was wondering, why is that? Um, and so I found that there is an actual, um, there's a project, um, a, a book, um, there's a project called the Archaeological Automatic Interpretation and Documentation of Ceramics project, which is something that's supposed to help document our um, archaeological things. Um, so I don't think that has anything to do with it, but maybe think like, oh, so if, what if we break down the words, uh, the word arcade as it's spelled in the book 
And so he you know, breaks down into ARC, A-R-C-H, and AID. So ARC, I was thinking, is it archaeology? But then I thought maybe archive, because this, this planet is an archive of video games. And AID, you know, the best I could come up with there is that AID is a helper or an assistant of some sort. So this would, this kind of made me feel like, oh, well, it's a clever play on words where or spelling where arcade the planet is this uh this archive or to help archive all these games from the past i don't know if any of you guys got anything out of it but how was it spelled again a-r-k a-r-c-h-a-i-d-e oh okay yeah i could see kind of like an archive an arcade or an archive of arcade games Totally yeah. could get that. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I totally I, missed yeah. that, too, but that's a good catch. I don't know if it goes beyond it just being like an archival planet, but it's it's a good thought, for sure. Um, at any rate, when he when he steps out of our... Is that all you guys had on Arcade? I don't want to move too fast. Well, the other thing, I, he mentions walking past Aladdin's castle. Does anybody know what that is? Hell yeah. Aladdin's I had Aladdin's castle in my mall. <laughs> It's like the uh, the largest uh, of the Golden Age arcade chains. Yeah. I, did, you, did you ever play it in Aladdin's Castle? Nope, I did not. Never even heard of it until I read about it. I, I had oh not heard God. of it. Oh my God, I did have an Aladdin's Castle. The thing that pissed me off about Aladdin's Castle, and I don't know why, is that you had to convert your fucking quarters into tokens before you could play. I couldn't stand that. I don't know why. Like I just, I hated that I had to convert all my stuff to tokens. Let me just let me just use my quarters. Some on some games, some of the older ones, you could put in a quarter, and it wouldn't like differentiate between the two. But like the more modern ones, it would only take the tokens. Does that argument work when you go to Vegas? I I don't want your fucking chips. I just I want to use bills. I want to use paper. I'm going to use paper, bitch. Hey man, you can call it down at any point. Just three, three <laughs> cash on the table. You can get you get chips. When uh, Parzival leaves Arcade, he has an email waiting for him from H. Uh, as far as we know, this is the first time they've corresponded in quite a while. And um, the, 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 the subject of the email is, what, what is it again? Is it now we're even? No, payback like time. Payback time. Subject of the email is payback time. Um, of course, referencing, you know, the help that Parzival gave to H back when he found the first key, um, even if inadvertently. Um, H H kind of, you know, sticks out. I don't know if you'd call it an olive branch or if he just like, it's just like a moral thing. Like he felt obligated or he felt like he wanted to just, it, it made him feel better to like, you know, close that chapter and say, "I you helped me, I helped you. Now I can have my pride back. Yeah. <laughs> like, how awesome is H for doing that? Like he totally didn't have Fuck to. Yeah. Parsville was being an asshole, and he still sends him this email, giving him the clue to the next key. How yeah. awesome is H? Coming out of arcade, he's 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 blank again. Yeah, but see, this is what's bothered me about the last few chapters is that I just keep picturing. You know, I'm going to go back to to Star Trek. You have Anorak's Almanac, and you have the the uh, uh, the Quatrain. Can't you just go through and say, 
computer, cross-reference all the titles listed in Anorex Almanac for trophies. I'll, I'll tell you what, and, and I think this might help a little bit or maybe even just, I don't know, rationalize the situation. But if you've ever looked for websites in the past, where, where do you go if the, if the website no longer exists? Oh, I go to Ask Jeeves. No. <laughs> um, Wayback Machine. Wayback Machine. There's only one website that I know of that is archiving information from 20 years ago. And not even that. So when we're talking about 20 years ahead of time, we might have access to data and information that they do not have access to. Like we, this might, this is, he's referenced this as the golden age. And he is so far past the golden age that the Oasis is like Internet 2.0, and everything in 1.0 might be gone. There might not be a Wikipedia. It might be that researching this shit really requires you to go back and archive, start, start rummaging through the data from scratch, which might be why this is so difficult for everyone to collect info, because you and I can look up everything about anyone on YouTube. They may not have a YouTube. And... I would argue that if he can find the way to play this game, which he says he's played once, that he could find the information about the game that describes its plot. Supply and demand. If the demand to play the game is greater than the demand for the information about the game, you can bet your ass the game will be there. And you can bet your ass the game's information or the information about the game may not. And keep in mind, like their sole reference at the moment for archaeology's sake is mostly Halliday's book, Anorak's Almanac. So this this might be the Wikipedia of the 80s and 90s that they've got access to, and that might be it. They might have access to a shitload of media, possibly not a shitload of data. And that's 25 years in the future. So it's the, think about what's again, not... we, we have several points where we say everything ever created ever is archived in the Oasis. Well, yes, but if you take into account that everything before a certain period of time might have gotten wiped out. Sure. That all of a sudden sure. becomes way more possible. Wayback Machine helps with that. <laughs> but but at any rate, um, however however you digest this part of the chapter, uh, this is lost on Wade up until uh, up until it's 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 handed to him, and I think even Wade gets a little self deprecating here and says. How the fuck did I not realize this? Like, it seems so obvious now. Um, because he's been through the Almanac, and, you know, it's probably a clue. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I mean, you know, when you've got the answer to a trivia question, that trivia question seems fairly fucking obvious. But, um, you know, in the heat of the moment, you may not... In the heat of the moment, <laughs> you may not realize it. Um, wow. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> Let me know when you guys want to want to circle back around to uh, Happy Time Pizza because I got something interesting for you. Oh, okay, go ahead because we're about to end it. All right, all right. So Happy Time Pizza is located at what's the address again? Nine Ten East Main Street, which is a house. Mm-hmm. And I found the parcel for that piece of property. <laughs> so the parcel of that piece of property was owned up till. 1990, the transfer history shows a Hyman Chester. I think that's last name, first name. Chester Hyman. So when you go in there and you look up Chester Hyman Klein and just do a search for Chester Hyman Klein, none, nothing else, 
What ends up coming up is an M. Evelyn Hyman Klein resided in that town. Anyhow, there is a relation to a Chester Hyman owning that property, and then a Klein being related to Hyman. I think the idea of him having lived there, or at least related to somebody that was important in his life living there, is totally a thing. I would say, like, just just from taking a look at that, I mean, I would say that if even if it's not the house he grew up in, then it was like his grandma's house or something like that. Maybe he spent time at his grandma's house or something along those lines. You know, yeah, just it's you know, too big a coincidence not to call man. An homage to good memories for a period of time, even if it wasn't exactly where he lived. It's you know, it's not on the fucking nose. But at the same time, like, like Klein is a pretty common name, but that's just way too big a coincidence. Yeah, that's a trip. I think we've stumbled on some there. All right. Well, awesome shit. (laughs) 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 Really cool. Uh, Yeah. So that's it for Get to the Good Part, Chapter 22. Very excited for what's ahead or what is past. We'll find out. But at any rate... My name is Ryan. This is Chris. And I'm Aaron. So long. Should I should I do the intro like Howard Cassell because it's March Madness? Do it. I don't care. <laughs> It'll be over by then. What March Madness will be? Yeah. <laughs> by the time Howard this comes Cassell. Out. I'm gonna do it anyways just because it's fucking funny. And the better off dead reference. All right, ready? Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. I'm your host Howard Cassell.